0: I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and today we've got an intriguing episode that deals with one of the lesser-used cocktail ingredients, eggs. Before we jump into the details, though, I've got a few important announcements. Number one, the last day to place e-commerce orders for the holiday season will be December 17th, if you want your gifts to arrive before December 25th, and just for you, the lowly the downtrodden the last minute shoppers we've got a special promo code only available to podcast listeners if you enter the code last minute all one word at checkout you'll receive 15% off your entire order from modernbarcart.com you're welcome Number two, if you happen to live in the D.C. metro area, you've got one more chance to catch us live and in person this weekend. On Saturday, December 16th, 2017, we'll be back at the Wundergarten near the Noma metro where you can grab a brewski and come sample some excellent bitters and syrups at our booth. Then on Sunday, December 17th, we'll be at the Van Ness Made in D.C. pop-up right around the corner from the Van Ness Metro in Northwest DC. So if you see us there at either of those places, mention that you are a podcast listener, and we'll give you a nice in-person discount on your purchases as well. Now, I think it's time to make yourself a drink. Today's featured cocktail is something that we actually speak about at length in this episode, so I won't give away too many of the fun details, but I will teach you how to make it. It's called the Fernet Flip, and the ingredients are actually pretty simple. Here's what you need. 1.5 ounces of sweet vermouth, 1.5 ounces of Fernet Branca, several dashes of embitterment chocolate bitters, and one whole egg. And to make this drink, all you gotta do is combine all those ingredients, including the egg, in a shaker with no ice repeat no ice and give them a good solid shake this is called a dry shake and we'll get into why you do this in this episode so then after your cocktail is all shaken up you go ahead and add ice to the shaker and repeat the whole procedure then you strain it into a chilled cocktail glass maybe grate some cinnamon or nutmeg on top as a festive touch and enjoy This egg-driven episode kind of fell into my lap when Dennis Sendros, a DC-based home bartender and podcast listener, reached out to me with the subject line, come drink with us, exclamation point this attracted my attention more so than some of the other messages in the podcast inbox that day. And turns out Dennis hosts a monthly gathering called Coctological evenings, where he selects a theme and creates an intimate booze driven gathering to explore cocktails through that particular lens. You'll hear Dennis speak more about this in just a minute, but there are two important details I want to share with you. First, If you want to check out some of the pictures of what he and his guests are up to, head over to Instagram and follow at Coctological Evenings. That's at C-O-C-K-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L-E-V-E-N-I-N-G-S. Or, of course, visit CocktailogicalEvenings.com, same spelling as the Instagram handle. Second, if you'd like a special promo code to sign up for one of these events, if you happen to live in the area and it piques your interest, please email podcast at modernbarcart.com and we'll hook you up with one of the special sign-up codes that Dennis has reserved for exclusively listeners of the Modern Bar Cart podcast just for us. That's two major discounts and promotions in one intro. Not too shabby. Some of the topics that Dennis and I discuss in this episode include... The major egg-driven cocktails, nogs, flips, fizzes, and sours, what properties yolks and whites lend to our favorite drinks, tips for hosting intimate cocktail gatherings like a pro, the art of the dry shake, and yes, also the reverse dry shake, ancient egg-related creation myths, how Walt Whitman likes his whiskey sours, and much, much more. This is a great episode for the winter season when we tend to enjoy darker, more textured cocktails and when we also tend to do more indoor hosting in our home, both of which are great reasons to break out the eggnog or make a round of flips. So, without further exaggeration, egg or egregious punning on my part, please enjoy this egg interview with my friend Dennis Sandros. Dennis welcome to the podcast glad to be here Eric as we always do can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell them who you are and why we're here talking about cocktails
1: yeah absolutely um, my name's Dennis Sendros um, by day I'm a health policy wonk in the beautiful city of Washington DC but then by night uh, I run a little cocktail night called Cocktailological evenings in my spare time um, and you know, I, I just like sharing uh, cocktails and, and sort of the, the methods and, and lessons behind them with, with all my friends and just anybody who comes along.
0: Cool. Um, how long have you been running this little cocktail series?
1: I guess it started about a year and a half ago, but I've only been doing it monthly since September. Last year It was a bit of a, it was a hodgepodge. It was just whenever I could get to it, it would get done. And then I, I buckled down over the summer and I said, I'm going to make this a monthly thing and, and
0: really make it happen. So, what are some of the themes or categories or cocktails that that past events have really focused on? Yeah.
1: So, um, so far, most of my nights have been focused around a liquor. It's you know easy and intuitive to build a night around that. Something like whiskey or gin or Geneva or tequila. Um, the last couple nights, uh, vinegar last month and an egg tomorrow, focus around an ingredient. Um, but I've got some in the pipeline that are a little more esoteric. Um, Midnight in Paris is coming up. Um, I've been playing with ideas for uh, childhood, or you know, just sort of like holidays. Um, you know, whatever, whatever fits. Uh, I, I think something I've I've learned is you can sort of build a night around anything if you just get creative with it. So um, I'm I'm having fun seeing what exactly I can pull together.
0: Yeah, I really like the direction that you're going in with those two. Just kind of more associative. Uh, those are the things that kind of get me thinking. And uh, obviously, it is very easy to you know take your take your spirit and kind of break it down. and I think that's a good place to start. But it's also cool to hear that you're branching out in that direction of, you know, I, I think I would say it's a direction of more comfort. It seems like you're more comfortable with your skills as a home bartender, and so you're saying, all right, we're going to take this lens and put cocktails through this lens and we'll see what comes out the other side
1: yeah absolutely um I mean definitely when I started it was like okay tequila let's look up three tequila drinks it's a margarita and two others and you know like I I definitely learned and I did some interesting things but you know now I'm starting to think about oh can I make like a cereal milk gin or can I make some sort of s'mores cocktail you know like something that's just gonna like bring you back to childhood and and make you think about you know camp and you know breakfast on Sunday morning kind of a thing
0: for sure so we're here to discuss a very specific type of cocktail that's kind of centered on the theme of your next party but before we do that I kind of want to dig into the hosting side of things because obviously that was sort of the occasion that this is centered around Um, and before we start talking about eggs in cocktails which is our topic I wanted to make sure we covered some of the hosting side of things as well. Um, and what I'm primarily curious about is what you find valuable or gratifying about hosting a cocktail party.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I mean, there are a lot of
1: things, right? Uh, first, I just love sharing drinks, my love of cocktails with people. Um, I think I've got a lot of friends that that like cocktails, but they don't really know a lot about them. and I've, you know, gone and been the one to like do the research and figure out why things go well with other things what the science of like the egg cocktail is and just sharing that with people and telling them about it is really fun for me and I gather fun for them as well because they keep coming back um and I also just like being the MC you know like talking and being up in front of a stage is just like a fun thing for me to do um, as a podcast host, you might have some sense of that. And, and I just love interesting conversations. Like I try to bring people together, you know, my, my nights consist of, it's, it's three people and everybody gets a plus one. And I try to make sure that there's three people come from different walks of my life or even total strangers, people that like friends of friends or, you know, that people that got referred. And I try to, I like it when people meet each other, it's six people in a room They've just met each other and suddenly we're talking about, I mean, we've talked about like shipping laws in China, you know, like it's just crazy things that out of nowhere we start talking about driverless cars and you know, whatever um, whatever comes out of that conversation and just having people like make friends right in front of me, it's, it's so much fun and I, I love bringing people together like that.
0: I like that you have kind of taken a, like you put a limit on the number of people. I'm sure there's flexibility to that limit if somebody you know really wants to attend or something. But it, it seems like you're making a really conscious effort to keep it intimate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and part of that part of that is obviously if you've got 20 people in a room, the conversation just is not the same. Um, a part of it is is just my physical capacity to make drinks. Um, you know, I've got two hands and I can only shake so many cocktails at a time, and um, it's no fun if somebody's done with their drink before you've even gotten yours. So um, I try to. I try to size the event to my own personal ability to do things and make sure that everybody's having a good time.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting approach in that it's maybe atypical of what people think of when they think of a cocktail party. You think of a cocktail party. I think of personally the cocktail parties they throw in movies where it's a crowded room. There's people carrying trays. There's uh, a lot of drinks flowing and everybody's got one. And, and, once you try and throw one, you realize that capacity is very difficult to achieve in the home setting. And so I think one takeaway we can get from that as home bartenders is to maybe slightly revise what you think of as a cocktail party and maybe think of it as more of an intimate gathering with cocktails. If you think of it that way, you're going to be more likely to host one. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, look, if, if what you
1: want to do is stand behind the bar all day and shake drinks, then I, you know, more power to you and do it, invite everybody. But I, I just like me personally, in order for me to have fun, I want to be involved in that discussion. I want to be with people and present and just being constantly shaking drinks. It just makes that difficult. So um, yeah, I've just sized it down.
0: Yeah, you think of the drinks sometimes uh, as the as the lubricant, as as the the thing that mm-hmm. kind of makes things run smoothly all night. Uh, but it's it's like one of those things where at a certain point, the effort it takes to make those drinks suddenly becomes like a diminishing return if you are no longer a part of the evening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, gotcha. So. Are there any other things besides keeping the gathering intimate intentionally to enhance these discussions? Are there any other things that you do in preparation of a cocktail gathering that might be useful to other folks who are thinking of trying to maybe host something? I think it helps to pick
1: a theme. It's certainly not crucial, uh, but it is, you know, it gives people something to talk about and something to center around, um, especially if they don't uh, know each other very well. Um, so it's an easy conversation starter. And I try as best I can to like foster conversation between people, like especially if they're people I, I know coming in, um, then saying, oh, hey, you know, Julie, you're also into Star Wars like Nick is, you know, like it's, it's easy to like sort of if you know your guests, it's easy to, to bring them together that way and, and sort of make those connections. So I, I that's just off the top of my head what I would focus on.
0: Yeah. A couple comments on that one, uh, choosing the theme and, and having that nucleus for people to gather around at the party also kind of extends forward and backward in time because it also gives them before the party happens, something to anticipate, which is cool, right? They're sitting at their desks maybe the day before and they're like, Oh, I can't wait to go to this party about eggs and egg cocktails. I wonder what Dennis is going to whip up. And then afterwards, it also gives them like that very specific memory flag where when it comes up in conversation, then they can immediately pull out that memory bookmark and be like, I had this really cool egg cocktail at my friend Dennis's place a couple months ago. And so it's really neat that doing something as simple as choosing a theme can kind of extend the value of the cocktail party so greatly, but I think it does.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like we were talking about like complicated associative themes and, uh, you know, cereal milk gin, and it doesn't have to be anything complicated. It can be something as simple as, you know, if it's springtime, spring cocktails, and it's probably what you were going to be serving anyway. You weren't going to give anybody a hot toddy in March, but, um, you know, you serve a Tom Collins and some other very basic springy type cocktails. And suddenly you have a theme that, that everybody can sort of talk about and focus on. Um, and it's, it's almost no extra work.
0: Absolutely. The other thing that you mentioned that I want to point out to folks is the value of coming out from behind the bar, which is something we rarely talk about here because cocktails are made behind (laughs) the bar. Uh, But it's something that we'll continue to come across when we do these episodes that kind of focus on parties and hosting. So I just want to point that out and say like, yes, here's Dennis and he's kind of advocating that there is a value to coming out from behind the bar. So if you're going to throw a party if you're the only one hosting, you know maybe it's interesting to think about how you are going to intentionally, at certain points or throughout, come out from behind that bar. I know that Alex and Jordan from the Speaking Easy podcast used to talk about how they would... Th- throw parties together. And one of them would sort of be front of house or out from behind the bar. And one of them would be kind of back of house making the drinks and maybe they would alternate, but this is, uh, you know, definitely a theme when hosting a party. So it's worth considering, uh, especially if you want to make sure that your guests have a really good time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, you know, keep in mind, these people are all in your home because you invited them there and presumably they like you and want to talk to you. Uh, and hopefully you like them too. So, uh, I think it's, not to put more pressure, but it's almost incumbent upon you as a host to like go and talk to your guests and, and have fun with them. Um, and hopefully, you know, you can take that opportunity to just relax and, and not worry about what things are, what
0: what's happening. For sure. So I think that's a really good kind of primer on uh, some of the high points of being a, a host of an intimate cocktail gathering. And so I think now we can switch our attention to the topic at hand, which is the theme of your next intimate cocktail gathering, egg-based cocktails, or cocktails involving eggs.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the the theme is just eggs in general, so I'll, I'll be even be giving a presentation that involves some of the history of eggs and um, the science behind egg-based cocktails and um, uh, creation stories about, you know, the world coming from an egg, that sort of a thing. Um, you know, what I'll be serving is definitely drinks based around uh, the egg, or in actually, in, in one case, it's specifically a drink without egg, but,
0: um, simulated to make it seem like an egg drink. This is all super cool. I've, I've got three or four different questions just stemming <laughs> off that. Before we jump into the first one, though, I want to hear this egg origin story. Can you please tell the origin story of the world coming from an egg? Okay, so the story comes from the Dogon
1: people of Mali Um, and there are, you know, it should be said there are like a lot of creation myths that where the world comes from an egg, a cosmic egg is sort of a a motif around creation myths that that occurs frequently. Um, And it allows for a lot of things. First you can talk about the duality between the yolk and the egg white um, and those dualities turning into like order and chaos and things like that. Um, And in the case of the Dogon people specifically, it, it starts with a dual gendered God, Ama, who, Creates a cosmic egg, which the, the god Ama shakes uh, to create two birth sacs or placenta. And inside those birth sacs, there are uh, twins in each of them. Um, and the twins contain in them male and female each, but they are individually either male or female. So it's it's very sort of complicated duality thing going on here. Um, one of the male twins, uh, Yorugu, breaks out of the shell, and the broken piece of the birth sac becomes the earth. Um, and he goes to try to mate with the earth, but fails. And so Ama sends the other three, um, the other three twins, um, to go and mate and they create humans between them. So that's, that's sort of the short version of this, uh, fairly like esoteric and complicated Dogon creation myth.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And I feel like there's, there's others, there's others with, I feel the egg has, has got to be a recurring thing in these creation stories, but, um. Why would somebody want to put an egg in their drink?
1: <laughs> I think the, the value of the egg, and when you're talking about eggs and cocktails, you're actually talking about two different things. You're talking about the egg white and the egg yolk, going back to duality. And so with the egg yolk, it's fairly simple. You want that creamy texture. Um, you want the flavor from it. I've heard the flavor described as eggy. Um, if you've ever had an egg nog, I don't, like, I don't perceive a particular... It's certainly not a scrambled egginess. It might be like a thick, creamy, rich egginess that you get but I I don't you're not drinking a scrambled egg so that's what the yolk does it emulsifies some of the ingredients too and sort of brings them together Uh, the white if you've ever had a a pisco sour or a whiskey sour sort of adds a silkiness to the drink and also when shaken provides um, like a heavy a froth or a a foam on the top that is just just pleasing to the eye um, and to the palate and also what that white does uh, just scientifically it strips some of the more bitter polyphenols is what they're called, but like tannins and other bitter elements from the drink itself. And it sort of binds them up. So if you're, um, drinking, for example, a whiskey sour, uh, whiskeys can tend to be fairly tannic and have a lot of oaky elements. So that egg white would strip those tannins out and lock them together and so when you're drinking it with you know just a little bit of citrus and a little bit of sugar and then the egg white suddenly it's a much more pleasing soothing drink on the palate than a harsh whiskey sour without the egg white
0: so a couple things just based on what you said there for we'll kind of work our way backward with mm-hmm. the the statement about the polyphenols and the binding effects and the kind of smoothing or soothing effects that the egg white has in the case of, I think you use a really good example, a whiskey sour. A whiskey sour is basically as you kind of indicated whiskey, a little bit of citrus, a little bit of sugar and then an egg white, and then you shake the hell out of it and you pour it into the glass and it's got the kind of the foam on top. And I think it's useful to remember, as I've pointed out a couple times, uh, notably in the the rum episode uh, with Jamie and Ben from line distilling A lot of the spirits that we are comfortable sipping today back when these cocktails were invented they would not be sipping spirits they were not nearly as sophisticated back in pre-prohibition days uh, at the distillation methods that we have today and their equipment was less uh, efficient and effective so the spirits were rougher and when you think about cocktails, you, you can't think about them as a in a vacuum. You have to think of them in the context of their history. So um, you think about back then, there was a lot more of that bad stuff to actually maybe want to strip out. And um, so I think that's an interesting point. And then the other thing is kind of linking the separate qualities of the egg white and the egg yolk with their natural, I guess we'll call them macronutrient content, mm-hmm. whereas the Egg white primarily contains proteins. It's got a lot of those um, nice proteins, nice clean proteins. The egg yolk has a lot of the fats in it, and that's kind of what's going to make those flavor profiles diverge. On the one hand, you've got the silkiness and this, the kind of— um, it's really not much of a flavor at all. It's just kind of a—it's almost j- exclusively a, a texture presence mm-hmm. in, the, in the case of the egg white— you are going to have a little bit of that richness. And as you mentioned, emulsification factor with the egg yolk because emulsification is something that we're familiar with from um, mayonnaises. Anything that ends with an A's, hollandaise, mayonnaise, these are all fats that somebody whipped up and then the result is that creamy kind of rich texture to it. So the duality that we're talking about, the kind of two branches of the egg macronutrients between the white and the yolk actually are because of the properties of those macronutrients. Yeah. So egg cocktails. Are there families of these that kind of correspond to that? Do you ever put the egg, the white, and the yolk in it, both at the same time? Like, how do we? How can we start thinking about egg cocktails in a way that helps us kind of organize them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to say that there are probably four main families of egg cocktails. Um, as I sort of talk through these. Um, Important to note that, like, you can do anything to any cocktail and call it whatever you want, um, and often it will end up delicious. So uh, these are by no means hard and fast rules. The the four families are basically flips, fizzes, nogs, and sours. And so in a flip, uh, what you're going to have is your spirit, um, usually the whole egg, uh, some sugar, and some kind of spice or other flavoring ingredient. Um, a really good example of that is the Fernet Flip, and that that whole egg. What it does is like you don't get that creamy froth because those proteins from the egg white end up when the when the fat from the egg yolk goes into them, it sort of eliminates that that creamy frothiness. But it does give a, like a very full bodied, rich flavor to the entire drink um, that uh, is just is just really delicious and, and works well, you know, in a Fernet Flip with with the Fernet, which is a, another very powerful flavor, and then nogs as a second one are basically a flip with cream when you add cream you most of the time have a nog sometimes just the yolk is used and either the the white is reserved or or um and not used at all or folded in later it's like whipped and then folded in to give the naga a more a light fluffy texture and the the most obvious Option here is an eggnog. I think everybody's probably heard of that. Um, There are actually a lot of cultures have their own different kinds of nogs. For Thanksgiving this year, my family had um, coquito, which is a a Puerto Rican nog recipe. And apparently my grandma, when she used to live back in Cuba, made crema de vie, which is a Cuban eggnog um, that I need to get the recipe from her for. Because all her cooking is delicious and I can't imagine this is any different. And then, so the third family, sours, are... Uh, typically, it's a liquor, it's sugar, it's citrus of some kind, and then uh, the egg white. So the really obvious choices, again, are whiskey sour, pisco sour, that sort of thing. Um, and those typically, like if if you're having it in, let's say, a, a coupe glass or a rocks glass, uh, and it's got a, like a nice, thick, foamy head on top, that's probably a sour that you're drinking right there. And then the last one is uh, fizzes, and that's that's just like a sour liquor, sugar, citrus, egg white, and then you'll add club soda to that too, and that's what gives it that that fizz that we're talking about. And the, the most common examples of that are like a gin fizz or a Ramos gin fizz, and again, if you're drinking something in a Collins glass with a nice frothy head, that's probably a fizz.
0: Interesting. I really like that you're giving us kind of the glassware tips to kind of help identify these because sometimes you show up at a party and somebody just hands you something. uh, And then sometimes you're at a bar and you want to, you see someone drinking something, you're like, oh, that looks delicious. And then you try and find it on the menu so that you can order it. So that, that's really helpful. Uh, And the other thing that is useful to me about what you just said is that you kind of, we've got the four categories, but there's also kind of like two families within that. There's the flips and the nogs that are using both the egg white and the yolk. Mm -hmm. And then there's the fizzes and the sours, which do those generally only use the whites?
1: Yeah, it's generally just the whites.
0: Okay. And then both of those have citrus and the flips and the nogs don't tend to have citrus. And if anything, they go the opposite direction. They add cream.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's interesting a, so a much spicier flavor too right like an eggnog
1: you're gonna have like allspice and clove and things like that um and i would be
0: interested to try a
1: gin fizz with some allspice but I, I don't know that it would taste very good <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah coquito is something i want to pause on because yeah. i every year i try to make coquito it's um, <laughs> something i've been into for a couple of years does that actually contain eggs uh, no, uh, it actually did not
1: when we made it anyway. I'm, I'm there might be some recipes out there. We used a uh, coconut milk. Um, yes. so uh, there were no eggs in our recipe. There was also, uh, at least personally, just a shockingly small amount of rum given the rest of it. Um, but it tasted pretty good. So
0: no complaints. Right. I bring this up because, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, but there's one very specific Potential flaw in eggs and cocktails is that certain people opt not to consume animal products, mm-hmm. and if you're a person who enjoys cocktails, then that's potentially a problem. If you are also a person who decides not to, you know, have these things in their diet, and that that's fine. Um, you can you can fall wherever you want on the debate. But one of the things here at Modern Bar Cart we like to do is make sure that everybody has an option when possible, especially. Being a host of a party, it's really nice to be inclusive. So Coquito not containing an egg is a really interesting way to get all of the qualities of a traditional eggnog or many of them without, um, you know, using the, the egg in it. So we'll, we'll mention another, another technique here, probably in a minute or two, that that will be something that you can kind of head over to that other family of sours and fizzes and and utilize in, in place of an egg as well. Um, so hopefully by the end of this episode, folks with dietary restrictions or preferences will have, um, some good stuff. I also want to center on the Frenette Flip for a minute because that was the cocktail I was planning to feature with this episode coming <laughs> in because uh, it's one of my personal favorite egg cocktails. So I was hoping uh, you could maybe give us a recipe and speak a little bit more about that particular cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: the recipe I am using is one and a half ounces of Frenette Bronca, one and a half ounces of, uh, of Sweet Vermouth a dash of simple syrup, two dashes of mole bitters, and one whole egg. Um, and you sort of just combine those in a shaker, give it a good dry shake without ice, and then uh, fill the shaker with ice and and shake like hell. And then you just strain it into a, a chilled glass. Um, and it, it's just a really, it's a rich drink. If you've never had Frenet, um, I would suggest trying it before you, you really dive into a bottle. I think it's it's not for a lot of people, um, but I, I like it a lot. It's a it's a, it's a heavy, uh, it's a heavy—it's it's Amaro, so like a bitter liqueur with um, heavy, heavy mint elements that uh, are really great and play well with—I mean, they play well with sweet vermouth, they play well with the, well with the egg, um, and the mole
0: bitters give it a, a nice little uh, spice to it. Right. Yeah. W- one of the ways I kind of think of this cocktail is— like Fernet is kind of an asshole. Like, if, <laughs> if you had to, if you had to like put a personality, like this guy would be an asshole. Uh-huh. It's bitter. It's, it is not for everyone. In fact, it's not for most people. And so the way I think of the Fernet flip is like one day, the bouncer just kind of gets sick of this guy and he comes over and he just puts him in a headlock. And it's, that's how I think of the egg in this cocktail. Like the egg just kind of puts this guy in a headlock and it's it just hugs him just this big bear hug <laughs> of the fernet, And it makes the fernet way more tolerable. I think mm-hmm. I, if anything, the fernet flip might be an optimal way for somebody to have their first taste of fernet. Because man, it's it is abrasive straight up. But in the Fernet Flip, I find you definitely get the bitterness on the finish a little bit, but you also get that mintiness. You really get a that mintiness coming through um, without some of the more abrasive qualities of it. I think
1: I, absolutely, um, and I I love that analogy uh, that you just described. I think that's very good. Um, and I gotta say, I tried a, a number of flip. Recipes preparing for this night and the fernet flip actually came out of the when we were originally talking about doing this episode together. You suggested the fernet flip and I tried that one. I was like, "Wow, this is actually first of all, fernet's a really interesting ingredient, so I like to present that sort of thing, and second, this is just the best flip I've had so far. Um, and you know, it, it plays really well with the egg and it all comes together so beautifully. Um, so that's that's the way I I decided to go with that.
0: Right? Uh, yeah. One thing to think about. Uh, with your Fernet Flip is obviously if you pare down all those little dashy ingredients like the simple syrup, which for me, I, I use that as an optional thing um, because you're already using sweet vermouth. So there, mm-hmm. always, there already is some sweetness in the drink. So if you take away the little dash of bitters, the little dash of simple, really what you have is you have equal parts of two ingredients. You have your Fernet, which is Fernet is Fernet. There are some variations on the market, notably here in D.C. Uh, Don Ciccio e Ifili makes, uh, I believe, what they call Don Ferne, which is mm. their version of Fernet. But there's not too much on the market that is similar to Fernet, so you don't have very much flexibility there. But where you do have flexibility is the sweet vermouth, the blah, the sweet vermouth that you choose to use, and so it pays to, in this situation, think about if you're going to be making a bunch of these. What bottle of sweet vermouth do you want to pick up? Do you want to pick up kind of like a utility player, like Dolan Rouge, which is a really great French-style vermouth, but it tends to be a little bit lighter? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to go with a bit more of a heavy hitter, like a Punta Mez, which is darker? It's darker, a little bit syrupier, a little sweeter. Or do you want to go with the kind of suave Carpano Antico, which is going to be pricier, but kind of guarantees like a super polished result. So for me, that's the first thing I think of when I go to make myself a Fernet flip is what kind of sweet vermouth do I have?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And they, you're right. They all played very differently with that uh, liquor. And yeah, I mean, you, you've got three ingredients. Each one of them counts a lot. Um, same way you wouldn't put a bad at a bad egg in there. You don't want to put
0: some bad sweet vermouth in there. Right. So we've got, a featured cocktail. We've talked about so far the families that these egg based cocktails fall into. We've got the yokers in the Nogs and the Flips, and we've got the non yokers in the Fizzes and the Sours. Uh-huh. Obviously, Fizzes and Sours containing that citrus are a really nice kind of egg cocktail for the summer, whereas the Nogs and the Flips kind of have that richness that makes us think of them during the winter months. So another way to kind of seasonally associate these several families of egg-containing cocktails. At this point, what I'd really like to do is focus on some of the techniques that people who are sitting here, they're they're sitting here, they got the, the wheels turning in their mind, they're kind of going through these things that we've mentioned, and and they think that some of these sound really tasty, but what techniques are folks going to want to keep in mind when preparing their egg drinks? I, I remember, I know that you you mentioned one so far, which is the dry shake. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I mean,
1: first, I think the, the most important technique when handling eggs is uh, wash your hands, keep things clean. Because, uh, the chances of salmonella are fairly low, but that is disastrous for the rest of your week if you end up getting that. So, um, it's fairly safe, but wash your hands. Just just be good about it. And then I think most of the technique from there, like, really does come in the shake. Once the egg is in that uh, in that tin, shake it hard. the The harder you can shake it, the better you want to get. Um, you know, with the yolk, that emulsification going with the white, you want to get. A froth going, and then if you really want to do, you know, the absolute maximum you can to put this drink in a really presentable way in the glass, um, the dry shake or the reverse dry shake um, are very good ways to go about that. And very simply, it's uh, first shaking without ice, and then after you've done that for about, you know, ten to thirty seconds, wherever you feel comfortable adding ice, and shaking again. And that way you get both the dilution from the ice and the coldness from the ice, but you also uh, get a much heavier froth on top of your drink because that froth doesn't build as well in the cold. There's something about the egg proteins that they don't play well with uh, cold weather.
0: So it's nice to have them warm when they do that. Mm, That's interesting. So the dry shake is... Basically a way for us to extend a couple things. One, it's a way to extend the amount of shaking that we get without watering down the cocktail mm-hmm. beyond where it should be watered down. Because remember, when you're shaking a cocktail, the you're breaking up the ice and you're putting the ingredients, which... currently they go in at one temperature you're putting these warmer ingredients in contact with the ice and that's causing the chemical or the thermodynamic reaction that results in the ice melting and then thus the cocktail diluting that's why we shake that's why we stir Um, but the dry shake is a way to extend the amount uh, of kind of agitation time you have without affecting the dilution of the cocktail yeah Um, and as Dennis mentioned you can do that on the front end with the the dry shake or you can do it on the back end with the reverse dry shake and correct me if I'm wrong here I'm just, I I am not a prodigious dry shaker so um, I'm not an expert here but it seems like when you were mentioning if you want to optimize how the cocktail looks in the glass it might be better to do the reverse dry shake because then you uh, can pour right into the glass without having to strain it oh yes yeah. yeah
1: that is absolutely a benefit um yeah uh you can all the ice is out of, the, out of there anyway so you can just do a, a very light um you know strain from the top and, right. and sort of uh let the rest pour into the glass
0: interesting yeah interesting so what's happening with with the egg proteins here is a process called i believe is called denaturization or denaturing mm-hmm. so you're that that's basically what happens when a protein which is what's in the egg white uh, gets kind of messed up. the 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 structure of the molecule gets kind of uncoiled, and that's where we get these like foam bubbles. and That's why it's the same process that happens when, you know, you see the chef just sitting there with a bowl of egg whites and just whipping them for ten <laughs> minutes, and then you get these nice peaks and like a meringue. Yeah. Um, so it's the same process, uh, but we're doing it in the presence of ice and water and liquor, mm-hmm. all of which are. I would guess antagonistic to that process. Um, so, you know, as we're talking about these various techniques, the dry shake, the reverse dry shake, basically, all you have to remember if this is way too complex for you and you know that you're never going to get this kind of into it, um, uh, into it to the point where you're like memorizing the names and durations of these techniques, all you need to know is that when you're shaking cocktails and you're trying to get that foam with the egg white, The stuff that we're putting into that cocktail is going to somehow hinder that process. So doing some of the process without the ice at the very least and without the water is going to be beneficial to your end product, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So... Other things to think about besides dry shaking, what about he- heating of, of eggs? I know certain eggnogs are sometimes served hot. Is there anything to think about there? Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: if you want to serve it hot, you've got to be careful not to uh, scramble your eggs is the thing, so um, that's, it's just sort of a tempering process, right? And, and it's, it's, it's adding the eggs slowly to a drink that is not too hot, Uh, That the eggs are going to scramble immediately you want to make sure that they're you're you're whisking as you're pouring in and it's like all sort of uh, blending together in a way if you've ever um, I'm trying to think of other uh, things that use this technique, but like tempering chocolate and um, you know other things where you're just trying to be very careful with the temperature um, and not
0: not end up cooking something when you're not supposed to I think a good analogy even though it's for different reasons would be mulled wine Um, so when you're mulling a wine, you're adding these aromatic compounds to it. But if you, if you crank that puppy up to a boil, you're going to end up boiling just like raw cinnamon and star anise, and you're going to get some of the tannic properties to that so and you're going to lose all your alcohol right so there's there's <laughs> so yeah that's a really good point <laughs> so there is subtlety in the process so i think with eggs um you know especially with when you're applying heat to the process just like when you're applying cold there's some subtleties and some nuances that you want to keep in mind same thing goes for the heating um, so when you're going to be making your eggnog if you're if you're doing a hot a hot version of it just keep that in mind for sure yeah so let's quickly before we talk about the shape of your egg night, I kinda wanna get the outline of your egg night. Sure. But before we do that, I wanted to mention the other alternative that we kind of alluded to earlier um for folks who may have dietary restrictions or different preferences. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually gonna talk about um two things, because uh, I'll be honest, if, if you know things around egg yolk beyond, you know, like the sort of coquito thing, um, I, I'd be entirely interested to learn. Um, I don't know about too many alternatives there. But for the egg white, uh, we talked about two things it does earlier. First, it gives that very pleasing foam on top, and then uh, it provides that silky consistency. Um, and you need to attack that problem Uh, Two different ways. The foam is easy. Uh, Buy a can of chickpeas and use the water from the chickpeas. It's called aquafaba, and when shaken, it acts just like an egg white. You can put an ounce of that into your drink, and you'll get a nice creamy foam on top. You can do the uh, same way. You know, dry shake or reverse dry shake, and you'll. It has that same sort of it. uh, You know, action that the egg white does. Uh, The the second, and this is a little more. Uh, complicated. Um, but if you're really trying to simulate that, um, it's, you know, the, the only way I know to do it, um, you can, you can wash your spirit, uh, with either, uh, milk or egg white ahead of time. Or, um, if you're, uh, if you're trying to go like a, a sort of vegan route, you can use, um, nut milks. Oh, I, I've heard, I've heard that they don't work quite as well, but they do still have some of those same proteins. Um, To uh, strip those tannic elements out of uh, a drink, so they do work. Um, So what you want to do is you want to add about a quarter. You know, let's say you start with a liter, a liter of gin, uh, 250 milliliters. You know, one fourth of that of uh, milk, uh, typically whole milk or half and half, Um, and you want to let that sit for a little while. If it doesn't, if the milk itself doesn't break and curdle, and you'll see that very clearly. If it doesn't do that on its own, you add just a little bit of lemon juice at a time until it does. And then as soon as it does, you stop adding lemon juice and you just stir lightly. And and what you want is for those curds to move around and sop up, um, sop up all the, the sort of tannic elements in the drink. Um, you'll notice, uh, when the drink comes out, if you've, if you've, moved these curds around correctly, uh, it will be much clearer than when it went in. So a a green chartreuse, which is typically like very, very heavily green, will end up just a very light uh, green at the end of this process. And uh, once those, so you've moved the curds around and then you want to strain it. You want to strain the whole thing because you don't actually want to drink curds. That's disgusting. Um, (laughs) So load them into a coffee filter over a fine mesh strainer or uh, just a coffee filter. That's fine too. Uh, There are some fancier... Uh, options on the market, but I don't own any of them because I'm poor. So uh, just strain them through whatever straining mechanism you have. And a few hours later, you actually want to let those curds sit for several hours. um, But then after the straining a few hours later, you'll have a much clearer liquid than you started out with. You may want to strain it a second time, depending on what you see dripping through. And then that will it does two things first it strips those elements out and second it actually gives the booze because the the milk proteins are in there it gives them again a foaming property that can be used on top of the aquafaba so when i i mentioned that the first drink of the night is not it's not an egg drink what i've done is i've milk washed all the ingredients of a last word except a lime um and then i'm adding aquafaba on top of it and we'll see what happens there
0: that sounds incredible. Are you going to be taking pictures of that?
1: Uh, yeah, I hope so. I, I, you know, I go into every single night telling myself I'm going to take pictures, and I've only actually done it one out of three times this year. I do really want to do it. So um, interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, just a quick follow up or two on on that process that you just described. Um, one nut milks. Uh, what we're referring to here are like almond milks mm-hmm. or cashew milks, I think. And these, you can pick up at, at any grocery, most grocery stores, uh, big ones or nice ones. Yeah. So it can be big grocery store or nice grocery (laughs) store. They will have something, um, and, and
1: I will cop here, I mean, the different nut milks are going to have different protein properties. I don't know what the best one to use here is, but I, in my brief Googling, I did run across some articles on it. So you can find
0: that information if you're looking for it. Right. So there are totally vegan ways to um, make any sort of sour or fizz. The washing process, I described it a little bit more. A couple episodes ago, I actually read a passage from Liquid Intelligence, which is a fantastic book on various cocktail techniques, and, and it's very simple. So um, you can you can look that up or, or grab a copy of Liquid Intelligence and do uh, various washes on your liquors, which is an interesting way to take something that you... Know as one thing, right? Your idea, like you, you become familiar with the identity of Jim Beam bourbon whiskey or whatever it is, and you can give it a completely new identity by just running it through something else. And it's, it's, uh, it's a fun process if you want to get kind of crafty in the kitchen. I can't believe you washed chartreuse. This is this is a complete tangent. So, folks, I apologize for this, but what what was that like it took the color out so did you just have these green milk curds at the end yeah i mean i can show you it's still like dripping through the funnel right now but
1: i, I didn't even just wash the chartreuse i put them i put the chartreuse the the maraschino and the gin all in one thing and then i i added the milk and it's uh it's dripping and and diluting it. and it's just it's just like a lightly cloudy a little bit green uh liquid at the bottom of a pitcher right now um, it doesn't I'm gonna have to run it through a second time very obviously Um, so it, it doesn't look the most ad- appetizing right now,
0: but i'm i'm looking forward to drinking it when it's uh, when it's all done That is really interesting and are you planning on serving that up on the rocks? Do we you generally serve egg cocktails up correct? Yeah, yeah Um, I mean I could see a couple rocks in like an eggnog or something, but mm-hmm. yeah it'll, it'll be in a coop or a nick and nora glass. I think interesting Very cool. Well, that's um that seems like a good segue to the shape of your theme night. So you're starting off with this last word variation. Do you have a name for it? I'm, I'm literally calling it, this is not an egg cocktail. Okay. <laughs> so it's the aquafaba. It's the aquafaba. And it's milk washed, maraschino, green chartreuse, and gin. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to add the lime to the shake process exactly. with the aquafaba. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, so what's next in line?
1: Uh, after that, um, we've got the uh, Fernet Flip. So that's going to be, I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but it's the Fernet, it's a sweet vermouth, it's egg, and and some bitters and, uh, and sugar.
0: What uh, vermouth have you selected or have you selected?
1: So I'm actually still in between uh, Carpano Antica and... Um, Dolan Rouge. Uh, I had to look over to my bar card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm between those two. I don't know. We're, we'll see how the 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 day takes me tomorrow and where I end up.
0: It's nice to have options for sure. Yeah. So what else after that? How many cocktails are you serving total?
1: Uh, so it's it's a three on theme and then one theme adjacent cocktail. Um, so the third on theme and it's actually um, this is uh, this is a kind of a special night. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fourth on theme too. Um, I'm doing eggnog, but I'm doing dueling nogs. Um, about three months ago, I made two different uh, eggnogs and started aging them, and so they've been sitting in my fridge the entire time. The The ABV content is high enough, the alcohol content is high enough that there's, there's no danger of bacteria forming there. And, um, but uh, one is with brandy and very lightly spiced. There's like a little bit of clove in there. Um, uh, there must've been something else I put in there. I've got the recipe somewhere, but, um, it's it's mostly floral light it's got that brandy flavor like very heavily um, and then the other one is whiskey and it's much more heavily spiced I felt like the whiskey could really stand up more mm-hmm. um, so there's there's clove there's star anise there's um, there might be some allspice in there uh, there's definitely cinnamon um, right. some other things that I threw in and that um, that, Three months later is definitely my favorite. I like the brandy starting out. The whiskey was a little harsh, but but having given it time to mellow, the whiskey has really come along and is is in a beautiful place. So I'm I'm just gonna serve it, serve both to everybody, just a little bit, and um, see how everybody likes it. Maybe you know, uh, I'm interested to to get feedback from everybody about how they came out.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that you're mentioning now with the spices is is interesting because, you know, we think of winter as kind of like, ah, rats, I have to wait another several months before I can enjoy my lovely, light, tangy, exciting summer cocktails. But really you get this kind of hidden advantage when some of the heavier cocktails come out and cocktails with eggs and with things like cream in it, Mm -hmm. they really stand up to those dark, deep, kind of heavy-hitting spices a lot better than most of the other cocktails that we associate with the light summer months. So this is a really good time to start playing around with some of those spices uh, as flavor notes that, you know, knowing that we have uh, kind of a cocktail lineup that is popular during this time of the year that really stands up well and complements those things.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unless you're at a tiki bar, the rest of the year, you're really not going to find something with like really heavy spices. Um, And so it's a
0: It's just a lot of fun. Cool. Anything else on the menu for the evening?
1: Yeah, the last the uh, the theme adjacent one, um, which is actually uh, fairly on theme this time, but it's not quite a cocktail. It's more like a cocktailical bite, uh, if anything. So I've I'm I'm trying to put together, and I'm still sort of tinkering, but it's it's coming along well um, with a sort of deconstructed pisco sour. So um, a candied lemon with some meringue on top. Uh, and either the lemon or the meringue or both is going to be infused with a little bit of pisco. Um, and so you just pop that into your mouth. It'll be one bite, a uh, little meal right there. Um, and, uh, I'm, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting experience to like to bring that, that, uh, that liquor and food together in a way that you don't see a whole lot.
0: For sure. Yeah. It's almost like a little mini Columbia room experience here in, <laughs> in, in the comfort of your own home.
1: I've been to Columbia room. They are leagues ahead of me, but I, I
0: appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think they, they have a little bit more financial backing yes. to, the, to their experiments. So <laughs> this, this is uh that's great. I really love the, uh, the, the food pairing. Uh, we'll probably do an episode at some point here on, on cocktails and food. And so maybe we'll, we'll have to, uh, get your thoughts on that as somebody who hosts some parties and, and get some tips there. But, um, that sounds like a really cool party. I guarantee you that all of your friends are gonna have a great time um i'm definitely gonna try some of that chartreuse before i leave too that's so fascinating to me <laughs> but i would love to uh if you're game to jump into some lightning round questions yeah absolutely cool so first question that we always start with here what is your favorite cocktail and why the last word um it is
1: i don't know i think it's partly just one of the first like really nice cocktails that i had um that was very well made and partly it's just the simplicity of it, you know? It's one part each, lime, maraschino liqueur, gin, and green chartreuse. And two of those uh, ingredients are kind of weird, the green chartreuse and the maraschino liqueur, but you can still find them in pretty much, you know, any liquor store. So it's easy to get those ingredients together, and and it's just so easy to make. You throw those in a cocktail shaker, you pour them into a glass, and you're done. And it's just like the the way that the lime plays with the gin, plays with the liqueur, and the green chartreuse I've always loved. It's got these really heavy herbal notes that are just like bracing um, but delicious. And then... On top of that, you can play so many different ways with it, right? If you throw out the gin and you add mescal, you've got a really smoky, delicious drink. If you throw out the green chartreuse and add yellow instead, you've got something that, you know, if the green chartreuse was too much for you, like, this is a much easier drip to, drink to sip. Um, you can replace the lime with, uh, with lemon. I haven't tried that, but you could certainly try other citrus like um, uh, sour orange or something like that. Grapefruit. Um, grapefruit, um, and you, you can go so many different ways by just replacing one little,
0: one ingredient in this cocktail, and it's so easy to do. It's a really great template. Yeah. Uh, like the, the Negroni template. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very, very flexible, uh, but the original is... So good. <laughs> uh, so this is probably like episode 29, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've met, this is my first favorite cocktail match. On on this podcast, really, yeah. Your favorite cocktail is the Last Word. It is the, it is my favorite cocktail. I feel <laughs> I feel like this really <laughs> intense bond now because it it is it, the way that you were describing the flavor too is is exactly what it's like. It's this very, it's it's one of the very few cocktails where um, the effect that it has on the palate every time you take a sip is actually. It displays a sort of motion. There's movement in the way that you experience the flavor because the lime juice affects very different parts of your tongue than the sweetness and kind of texture that the maraschino and the chartreuse give it. And then the aromatic compounds and botanicals in the chartreuse and the gin are very much. Aromatic things that are not affecting really anything on your tongue, but they're they're kind of triggering your olfactory system so the way that I think of the last word and this is way too abstract esoteric poetic for for most people, but uh, it seems to me like a school of fish or uh, They call them a murmuration of swallows or sparrows Uh where you see this this kind of cloud of things and it's chaotic and it's moving, but there's also this beautiful kind of order to the way it all moves and kind of flashes and goes through the sunlight. And uh, I, I kind of describe the cocktail as being opalescent, as, <laughs> as the as the adjective I use to to kind of talk about it. Um, that's that's beautiful. I might steal that. Yeah, do it. It's it's. I think the more people who are drinking the Last Word, the better. Uh, favorite <laughs> cocktail of all time. A little pricey, um, but mm-hmm. definitely it's that treat self cocktail. Um, where you break it out on special occasions and it's always a solid go-to. So absolutely good work on that. And, I and like look
1: it. for how pricey it is. You get a lot of booze. I mean, maraschino liqueur is fairly high in booze for liqueur. Chartreuse is like 55%. Yep. Your gin is going to be at least 40%. So, yep. um, it, it takes you a long way.
0: It does. It <laughs> does indeed. So now that we know your favorite cocktail, what is your favorite spirit? Uh, miscal. Absolutely. Um, and
1: it's, it's that, I love that smoky flavor. Um, I have not had or played around with enough cocktails with it, but when I have played with it, it's always fun. I've got one that involves, um, like lemon and, and creme de cacao. It's kind of like a 21st century with, a uh, with mescal in there. Um, I love the last word with mescal instead. Uh, last the Oaxacans is what one bartender described right. it to me as. Yes,
0: I've heard of that. It's a yeah. good name.
1: Yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely my favorite. And I also love just like the idea that it comes from like this cactus in Mexico. I need to take a trip down to, uh, the region that they grow that in. I forget the name of it now, but mm-hmm. I, to the, to the the sort of agave growing area of Mexico and like tour some, some mezcal distilleries. I think that would be a lot of fun.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like people who have mezcal as their favorite spirit have a specific, um, story about how they've discovered it. So do you have, like, how did you come to fall in love with it?
1: Yeah. You know what? um, it, it, I do. Um, so I uh, was at my friend's bachelor party, and one of the things we had decided to do was a cocktail class. Um, and it's uh, this was when I was very much just getting into it, so th- this was also a catalyst for the, the whole cocktail thing uh, to a certain extent. And the class centered around gin, and one of the drinks they did was the last word, but then he, he said, you know, you can switch this out for mescal and it makes a good drink, and he served that. Um, And I was like, I was blown away. Um, And we ended up before dinner coming back to my place, and on the way here, buying uh, all the ingredients to make that drink again. Uh, And then just, I, you know, made it for everybody all over again so that we could uh, enjoy it before dinner, which uh, in classic bachelor party uh, fashion, we were uh, pretty
0: pretty blown out for so yep <laughs> cool yeah yeah Cal's great um definitely a huge kind of surge in popularity here in the u.s and uh, there's a lot of different kinds so hopefully we'll have an episode on that very soon
1: yeah I, I actually um i often say dc has uh distilleries for all the major spirits you know rum and gin and vodka we've got whiskey Uh, The one thing we're missing, and I I recognize that there are major location problems here, are like tequila and mezcal. And I really wish that there was a way to bring that into D.C. somehow. Just airdrop a piece of Mexico
0: here? Yeah, that's that's all I got. (laughs) I feel feel like we could drop it on a certain spot on Pennsylvania Avenue for some optimal irony. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That'd be cool. I would definitely vote for replacing the White House with like a, mescal. a mescaleria. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Just that operation would probably bring more value. I think right now. Absolutely. Mm. So if you could have a cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would it be? What cocktail would you drink? Where would you be? And what would you talk about?
1: So and I didn't, well, we were talking a bit before the show started. Um, I didn't realize you had an MFA in poetry. So now I feel outmatched when I'm about to say this, but, um, uh, uh, Walt Whitman would be my choice, I think. Um, he, I, I really love, uh, reading like anything he's ever written basically. Um, and I, I just imagine myself, you know, maybe on the side of a large lake, we're in the forest. Whitman's obviously choosing the place here because he knows, you know, we're going to go to his place and we're going to trek out into the wilderness and he's going to find the perfect spot to have a drink. And we're going to, we're going to kick back. We're going to lay down some chairs or something. And I think... I think we're drinking a whiskey sour. I think that's what we're doing. I, 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 you know, I imagine he would drink whiskey and I imagine it would be whiskey made by like one of his friends, you know, like he, he just went down the road and he got this whiskey and it's, it's like what you said, like really harsh, bad stuff, but it's okay because his chickens laid these eggs and we're going to wash it with, uh, with the eggs from his, from his chickens and, um, you know, put some lemon in there and just kick back and relax and drink that. And I also know he was a, a fan of port and I, a huge fan of port so cool we'd we'd end the
0: the sort of experience with a, a nice dessert port that's great I really like the uh, so we've got a pastoral whiskey sour with Walt Whitman um, and is there any specific poems or like parts of I, obviously he's famous for leaves of grass on mm-hmm. myself these massive sprawling things are there any portions of those or lines that, that you recall that are like particularly uh, memorable to you? Yeah.
1: I've actually got a piece of art that I'm, I, I, it's framed and I just need to hang it. Um, but it just says, uh, all truths wait in all things. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that, um, you know, we're, we're out in the wilderness here and life, everything is around us and we just need to sit back and experience it. There's not more than what this is. There aren't deep layers of meaning that you have to like that are hidden from you. It's, it's there if you're willing to let it in.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Whitman Whitman's a great guy. He's got very, very quotable and (laughs) and also uh, pretty much without argument, the father of American poetry as such. So very cool person, very good choice. Um, I might have to steal that from you. I might, I don't know. I, I, I rarely answer my own <laughs> questions, so I think there's probably going to have to be an uh, episode where I answer all of the, the lightning round questions. I so, think that'd be great. Uh, now I can't really steal it from you, but that's a really good answer. <laughs> Are there any books about cocktails that have been particularly useful to you? Maybe besides liquid intelligence, which we mentioned earlier, um, anything standing out?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the very, the very first book I got, uh, was the joy of mixology by, uh, Gary Regan, and it's just uh, it's a fairly simple history of cocktails. Uh, it's interesting. It talks a lot about technique and how you want to go about certain things, you know, everything from like cutting a lemon to um, garnishing with a, a pineapple, you know, like it, things that that as a home bartender, it's just starting out, you'd never think you're ever going to do. But it's there if you want it. And then the back half of the book is just recipe after recipe after recipe after recipe, and they're all solid recipes. Um, you're not going to go wrong making one of them. I, I think he's actually got some notes that like, this is terrible, but I put it in here cause it's a classic. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, so there's that, but, uh, but you know, they're all, they're all solid recipes. They're well annotated. They're very easy to make. Um, and I think just, just starting out, it was, it was amazing to have almost like a Bible like that, that I could, I could say, okay, well, I've got these three things already. What's the one thing I need to add to make three more drinks in this book?
0: right and that's what it's all about to begin with i mean i think there's concepts i I don't know um i don't agree with the the actual um constituents of the 12 bottle bar in the book the 12 bottle bar Uh by the company the 12 bottle bar i I don't know it's just the 12 (laughs) bottle bar is a thing i think it's a great concept and i think that's what it's uh, the concept is just that it's like all right what are the force multipliers the orange liqueurs of the world that if you have that and a base spirit You just really need to add one more thing and it just like multiplies the number of possibilities there are by by orders of magnitude. So I think that's a really good uh, thing for people who are just starting out. If you're just picking up this podcast and getting into home bartending, like, yeah, what are those three or four bottles that you need to add to your collection based on what base spirits you might already have? that are going to give you like 40 or 50 options. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so we'll link to that book in the show notes. And speaking of advice to people who are starting out, what piece of advice or pieces of advice might you offer to people who are looking to either improve their home bartending game or be a better host at parties, mm-hmm. anything like that that you can offer?
1: Um, so I'd, I'd say for improved home bartending, there's two pieces. The first sort of piggybacks off of what I just said. It's It's a question of like, what can you make with what you have right now sitting at home, and then what is the next thing that you can buy to make three more interesting drinks that you want to have. And then the second piece is like, there are a million recipes, you can find them everywhere, but feel free to just go completely off track and just let your mind wander and just have fun with it. And if it if it tastes like trash, throw it out, you know? That's not a big deal. You have not failed because you've made a bad drink. It just goes down the drain and then pick a good drink and make that instead and you'll be happy. And then, uh, as far as hosting, um, I don't know. I guess the biggest obstacle for me was probably just convincing myself that that people would come over and want to drink the drinks that I made them. Um, and I think, you know, however you get past that, whether it's just psyching yourself up or, or you know, inviting just one friend over who, who you trust will tell you if you've done something terrible to their palate, you know, just be confident. Like, there's not a lot of people who will go and mix their own drinks. And as long as you're you know using fresh juices and using like sweet vermouth that hasn't gone bad like it's going to come out great and uh, you can taste it if you like it then other people are going to like it too and they want they want to try this they want to to come and and have this drink with you so just put it out there
0: yeah imagine all of your friends are Walt Whitman and- <laughs> They are, they are just open to all the experiences and all the cocktails that you have to make. And it's, it's like imagining the audience in their underwear, right? It's just Uh imagining all of your cocktail guests as Walt women. Yeah. Um, All right. That's a a suitably bizarre way to, to end this episode. (laughs) Um, Dennis, thank you for all of the information that you offered on egg cocktails, on hosting, um, and, uh, Really appreciate this, and, and hopefully we get to talk to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Eric. This has been fantastic. Also, um, just throwing
1: it out there, if your uh, listeners want some codes to sign up for my night, I am like I can give you like twenty codes or something to put out on the. Yeah,
0: It doesn't need to be in the podcast.
1: Sorry, uh, but yeah, it, it, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, we, yeah,
0: we, we will. So what we'll do, folks, is we will correspond after the show here and and we'll get some codes uh so that you can sign up if you are in the dc metro area and you think that uh what dennis is describing here is sounds fun uh then we'll get you signed up and we'll get you uh kind of a way to work yourself into this community and um, which might be a good step to kind of doing more yourself yeah absolutely dennis thanks again thank you all right Hey everybody! Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern modernbarcart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at quixologist. That's Q U I X ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Barcart or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending-related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.